1: Hello, and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast, proudly presented by NBC Sports Edge. My name's DJ Short, and with me here once again is Drew Silva. We are live on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel right now, as well as the NBC Sports Edge Twitch page. So welcome to our audiences there. Just for context for our podcast listeners, we're recording this show Thursday night, September 9th. If you remember last week's show, we did a little NL East talk with Grant McCauley, who does a great job with Braves coverage. But for this week, we figured we'd hop over to the NL Central and bring in Derek Gould, lead Cardinals beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Derek, thanks for taking the time to stop by. I know it's been a busy day for you,
2: so we're we're happy to have you here. Well, thanks for the invitation. I uh, appreciate it. It was nice catching up with uh, Drew on the uh, on the podcast we do, and so... You know, it's nice to have this chance for what, like part two or like, it's an encore, right? Drew, that's what this is. We, we got an encore. The, yeah. the podcast was so good. They brought me back.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it could essentially work like a part two. We can check back in on the Cardinals though. It feels like they are kind of in the same mode that they were when we talked yeah. on the park picnic table two weeks ago. One mm-hmm. thing I really liked about the way you did the podcast is like you used a recorder, like uh, a reporter would do in a clubhouse to interview a player. And I have a habit DJ knows this of like talking over people like when they're trying to finish a point or make a point. And with that method, you didn't you don't really have the opportunity to cuz you kind of have to wait for the the mic to come to you. It's kind of creative. I'm sure you just do it that way because that's what you have on hand. But but it yeah. wor- it, it kind of works. It creates a good dynamic where you really have to take you know, you get only your time to to con- To conduct your answer You know And then you have to Listen to the other guy
2: As opposed to like A Zoom thing Where we just All talk all over Each other Yeah Yeah, Like this show
1: Yeah (laughs) Drew and I Drew and I Don't finish each other's Sentences We like try to start Our own sentences Yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah No it's It's awesome to have you here I I, You know the Cardinals They They dropped the first Two to the Dodgers Putting them in kind of A perilous state So uh, To win these last two Another Great start from from Adam Wainwright, who, you know, I wonder your guys' thoughts. I, I think Walker Buehler is probably the Cy Young Award favorite, but or Max Scherzer. Scherzer's Scherzer, Scherzer is making a charge. Scherzer is making a charge. That's totally fair.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but you do wonder, you know, LA, you know, do they cancel each other out a little bit? Um, Julio Arias is in that mix too. I think he. Not that wins matter, but I think he's leading the league in wins. He is. Yep. Um, Some people might still pay attention to that. Who knows? But, you know, maybe they do cancel each other out a little bit. You know, where does Wainwright fit in there? And just that we're even talking about it as a possibility. He's going to
3: get some some votes for sure, which, yeah, it's amazing at age 40. And the way he pitches, and Derek and I talked about this on his his podcast, is very unique Mm -hmm. to this modern era where he, you know, he he can maybe hit 92, 93 sometimes, but he's generally like 91 and is just a, a cerebral pitcher and has this big looping curveball I, I, there's a lot of more like power breaking balls in the game today you don't really see the big loop but I, he uses his height to an advantage and mm-hmm. the crazy arm slot and I, I think it it throws batters off like even even the best hitters can sometimes look silly against i think you would say mediocre stuff in a way i mean the curveball ranks up there with one of the best pitches in baseball and his usage of it is right up there at the top of the leaderboard too but um, just a unique guy and yeah i I think Derek had some reporting today on possibly bringing him back or um it seems like that's going to happen or at least they're going to have negotiations here soon do you think that'll happen before the end of the regular season or
2: it's a good question probably so I mean I, I think that you know both sides want it you know Wainwright did his uh, his announcement on big league impact and had his family involved where he took their votes um publicly but they'd already started talking i guess a couple of weeks ago he was telling me and you know talked with his daughter um his eldest daughter about you know what they w- what she wanted and what they wanted as a family f- you know next year with him pitching and were they all behind it and they, he said he went six for six they all voted um for him to come back and so now it's a matter of uh, of did he give away all of his leverage entirely probably not i mean but he jokes that you know He's like, well, I can't just say I'm only going to pitch for the Cardinals. But, you know, Molina wants him back. He's been giving him kind of the nudges every so often. The Cardinals need him back. I mean, he's he's been their best pitcher. It's, it's not like a few years ago where it's like, well, they're going to give him the chance, right? And he writes what yeah. would be the contract on the back of the napkin. He's been their best pitcher now for the entirety of, what, 36 starts? Yeah. Um, you know, for the last year and a half, he was – I would argue that he was their MVP last year, um, mm-hmm. maybe even deserve some sort of recognition, not, you know, not up ballot voting, but some kind of votes on, on some NL MVP ballots, given what he did to bring them out of quarantine yeah. and get them through those double headers. Um, and then this year is easy. He's a, he's even better. Um, I think that, you know, it's hard for a team like the Cardinals to say, you know, well, our best pitcher, you know, well, you know, we've got to really try to figure out a way to get him back. I'm really interested to see what the Morton deal. Right. did For. What, yeah. Yeah. For what, Ale- or, you know, for what Adam could say, look, I, you know, this is what I'm worth. Um, yeah. You know, I, he's not a guy who is going to, you know, he, he wants what the market will probably give him. And he had other options last year. Um, he had, he had more, uh, um, higher options, uh, like, uh, like offers of higher salaries last year. And he returned to the Cardinals. So we'll see, you know, how that goes, but both sides, I think don't want that to linger into October. And the Cardinals will be like, look, you know, you don't know what's ahead with the CBA. Um, so at least here's the certainty. Um, and they might also be at a point to be candid at some point this month where they might want that as a headline, you know, as opposed to, you know, playing games very rarely, in his career, have they played games that don't matter? I mean, I kind of lost, you know, I was reminded of this watching the Jeter stuff. You know, they're, they're the two of them have only had one losing season, Molina and Wainwright. And mm-hmm. even then, it was really toward the end that they got eliminated. They have not played many games like Jeter um, where they've been eliminated. And so if that happens at some point in time, they might want that headline.
3: Yeah, I forget who did the calculation. Uh, some St. Louis media person, but it was like, for the past, I don't know, twenty years, the Cardinals have been in contention, except for like a stretch of like two or three months total in in that twenty year period. I mean, they're
2: mm-hmm. oh they yeah were, yeah 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 that's right twenty years yes yeah yeah I mean yeah.
3: it's so I mean I, we're spoiled I'm spoiled as a Cardinals fan and I guess you're kind of spoiled to have to cover all those postseason games but um, you never really get an early vacation do you?
2: <laughs> only, yeah i mean it's october mean, you know what's the rule around the cardinals october matters and that's true whether they're in it or not i mean if they're in it then you, you you're staying in hotels if they're not then you're staying on the phone figuring out why they're not so yeah I mean, it's all the sure. same.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and, and as far as like the cba stuff is concerned like you know there's obvious cases of why teams are going to be hesitant to make any kind of decisions or moves, mm-hmm. which I think you guys talked about on the, you know, the podcast you had, but like Wainwright and Molina are like a totally different category. Like that stuff shouldn't matter at all. And I would think we're going to see a quick resolution there, especially since, you know, Wainwright said he's coming back. Yeah.
3: they got to make him a fair offer though, you know, and, and yeah. if, if Charlie Morton at age 37 with a higher ERA, better, slightly better strikeout rate signs for
1: $20 million for the 2020 yeah, that's sets the baseline and plus like Wainwright means more to the Cardinals you know like well, he is their
3: best pitcher like yeah Derek Gould was saying I mean like and they need if they didn't have Adam Wainwright this year oh yeah I mean they would be I, I don't know yeah the fourth place they would be <laughs> closer to the Rockies than you know
2: the Reds so does Jack Flaherty have a chance to come back this year? <laughs> yeah. I guess is the the other question. Um, Don't really have a – I mean, the clock's ticking, right? The calendar's about to run out. You know, the, the, the conversation is, does he have a chance to come back? What can he do as a reliever? Can he and Dakota Hudson split starts? Is that something that Ooh. they look at doing? Um, that's That takes a lot of coordination, but with a 28-man roster. Um, you know, in the NL – in the American League, you could do that, obviously. Um, in the National League – a little bit trickier um, for the time being, I guess, until the DH arrives. But that's kind of being kicked around. I mean, he, but he hasn't thrown off the mound. He's been playing catch. So he's he's running out of time. And, you know, there's going to be real concern. So whether ex- to accelerate him for what? Yeah. Um. Yeah, when totally. the focus should be on 2022. 2022. Yeah, it's a, it's... A- yeah <laughs> 2022.
3: Uh but before you hopped on DJ was like you know the Cardinals are in it.
2: And I was like Yeah. I was like no they're not. But they I mean they're, I mean they kind of are. They are because other they teams are. it's the same thing that I've seen over and over again where the Cardinals are in it cuz the other teams won't let them leave. You know <laughs> I mean it's like Yeah. I, I'm I'm fascinated by I mean it's just like it's like a I don't want to overstate it cuz it's a little bit of, you know, I guess, romancing the game a little bit um, or, or maybe catering to the urban legend, but you know, these teams, they talk about, well, you know what? The Cardinals will always be in it. Oh, the Cardinals. You know, I talked to the brewers. I talked to members of other teams and they're like, well, you know, the Cardinals will have that run. You know, the Cardinals are going to be there in the end. It's like these teams talk themselves into it so that then they make it happen. I mean, I remember back in 2011, this is, you know, we're in the midst of the 10 year anniversary of that crazy run they made where it was like, they're 10 and a half out and the Cardinals are like, well, we can get back in this thing. We can get back in this thing. And it was almost like the Braves were like, well, you know, the Cardinals are going to get back in this thing. How can we help them? I mean, it's, <laughs> just, it's, it's fascinating to watch, um, you know, but it speaks to like, okay, that the Cardinals don't fail. Like, I mean, you could make the case that the Cubs, right? Cubs could have been in it, but they failed in July. And the Cardinals just don't have that kind of, they don't have that approach. They don't have that philosophy from their ownership, in part because they got 83 wins in a World Series title in 2006, yeah. in part because they got lightning to strike in 2011. And, you know, they the moment they think, all right, well, this is the season to bail on, you know, they don't, and things happen. So, you know, it's it's on a smaller level. It's why, like, you talk about, like, well, when will Yadier Molina play a little bit less, or when will they start looking at some of these young guys or things like that. It's like, well, they won't until they're eliminated and they're so rarely eliminated that they just keep playing until they, until they're told not to. Yep. And that's kind of become the ethos here.
3: They've had a pretty bad three going on four weeks. You know, they've won consecutive games once. And then I guess they just won consecutive games against the Dodgers, which was surprising, yeah. but, but they really, they've actually made up ground in, in the wild. No. Well,
1: <laughs> the
2: reds have lost eight out of 11. Again, they Yeah. And the, yeah, two to the Cardinals. <laughs> the Cardinals took care of that. There, I mean, that to their credit, they they took head to head, and they're geared up to go head to head with them this weekend. And then they got yeah. the Mets, and then they got the Padres, and so they're like, well, we'll focus on the teams that you are either in that mix that you can go head to head with, and you know. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's so bizarre that the Cardinals were you know four games and drifting, and now they're three games and. You know, I think in print tomorrow, yeah, in print tomorrow, I said they're a wallflower in the wild card race. But it's the same kind of thing. Like, no one will let them leave the dance. Yeah. I think what's interesting
1: about the Reds, they have nine games left against the Pirates. Yeah. It's nine out of their final 22. So that's that's a big edge. The Padres' schedule is, is a it buzz. It's insane. Three at the Dodgers. This is a 10 game road trip. Three at the Dodgers, four at the Giants, then the Cardinals. Important series there. Three against the Giants at home. Three against the Braves at home. Mm-hmm. Then on the road for six to finish the year, Dodgers and Giants. There's no easy series there for them. Wow,
3: well, no, And I think the, no the Dodgers and Giants will be happy to bury them.
1: Yeah, um, yes <laughs>
3: the Cardinals are they're in a rough stretch right now uh, Reds which I guess that's not really a rough stretch that's an opportunity right there mm-hmm. um, but then three against the Padres four at Milwaukee but then you get seven against the Cubs with a little Milwaukee mixed in to close out the year and and that Cubs team is uh, so a funny. little
2: Milwaukee mixed in that sounds like something you'd order at a Wisconsin <laughs> bar
3: <laughs> uh, some cheese curds and uh, a little Milwaukee mixed in
2: yeah
1: I, I've never had cheese curds and like you, you were talking about it. Well, things. isn't it almost like having like food poisoning though? What are you talking no. about? It's like, it's like, it's like almost like, is it like some kind
2: of no, like
3: you, milk? No, worm? no, no, no. It's basically like a
1: mozzarella no. stick,
3: but with fresh cheddar.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it's fried cheese. Yeah. But you can also get, okay. you know, just cheese curds you don't have to fry them and they're, they're that's true. amazing okay.
1: it's, it's not a
3: like little to snap
2: them. Thing. okay
1: it's i mean really i'm important. intrigued by it it's not it's like cheese. cheese i mean i i would ha- i mean i'm an east coast person so i've never been out so, that way but I, you, I would love you had to cheese right, cubes
2: right you've had cheese cubes on a toothpick right of course sure yes. okay these are the mercedes of cheese cubes <laughs> on a toothpick <laughs> This is the well, filet mignon of cheese cubes. That's what I mean. Saying. I'm sold. I'm I'm sold. It sounds like uh, over my pay grade, though. Like I don't know how, no, how much man, are they're, these? They're not. <laughs> you do buy them by the pound, but they are. They're they're exceptional. They, I mean that they're yeah. the. They're the filet mignon of cheese.
3: They're Get them great. at on Happy Hour at a bar in Milwaukee. I'm glad we finally got some NL Central flavor on this show. DJ's never had cheese curds. Cheese. No, I haven't.
1: Elite East Coast bias. I I'm I'm not saying I wouldn't try This isn't like a Skyline
2: chili scenario. Uh that, that too is great. I we're now we're going down. A, a, no, let's that, let's do this. So you actually, actually like Skyline? I actually do like Skyline chili. So how I do you think you, you have to accept that it's not actually like chili it's like its own thing i think it's labeled incorrectly. right i'm okay with yeah. that i mean look i mean i i mean how many different things do we have to accept aren't what they are i mean i i lo- i i've given up my battle when people say well that's a lousy narrative it's like no that's not how that word works yeah but you know i i mean like little things i mean uh you know i mean i've been told a team is a contender over and over again but if it's not it's not they can call it chili it doesn't have to be chili right you know, I mean, it's, I get over that. It's pasta. It's great. My mistake, yeah. My mistake was, uh, and I've probably told this
3: story on this show, but I, I went to the university of Dayton and like when we, my mom first dropped me off there and we like went to the grocery store to stock up the, the dorm and I'd heard of skyline chili. And so like at the Walmart or what the Kroger, wherever we went, um, there were cans of skyline and I was like, Oh, I'll get some skyline. Like just to try it. I love chili steak and shake. Chili is fantastic i make great chili too but if, if you're talking about fast food but anyway so like one night i just pour it into a bowl and put put it in my microwave and that's not the way that you're supposed to eat skyline chili no. like it's got like cinnamon and maybe some chocolate in it it's a topping for pasta or for hot dogs mm-hmm. and actually the some uh cincinnati people some girls especially that would make this skyline dip where it's like yeah a layer of cream cheese and then the skyline and then shredded cheddar on top with like some onions.
2: and mean, yeah, like a garlic. seven layer dip. Yeah.
3: yeah. And that is really good stuff. So I, I just, I had it incorrectly. And then once I, I didn't always like love the Cincinnati people at, at Dayton. I mean, some of my best friends are from there, but there was kind of a St. Louis Cincinnati thing because the reds were good when I was there. Um, And so I like would never actually go there and try it correctly. So I, Again, yeah, narr- in false narratives
2: and whatnot. I try to get out and try the different places. <laughs> Again, I would I try not f- to bring any bias to it and yeah, let it go. No, There are true. things I don't like, but Skyline I don't mind. Cheese curds, I'm a huge. I grew up on cheese curds, so um, I'm I'm going to defend the Dairyland. I could be convinced if I ever go to Cincinnati to try it. I'll say that won't be hard to find it. I mean, <laughs> you know, Skyline is. The- most famous but uh, there are other options there's gold star i went to uh a, you know c rose of the athletic who covers the reds and is just one of the best guys and best baseball writers around and uh, he took me to a, a new place uh in kentucky um that was uh called dixie or i think dixie chili and so i tried that same kind of thing i mean
1: so what is your favorite like traveling around like what's your favorite like food city
2: my favorite food city well, i mean they're There's like New York and Chicago in the National League, man. Like it's hard, (laughs) it's hard to beat. You know, I mean, like underrated um, food. I mean, Chicago's amazing for food, and um, New York is. I mean, New York. If you can't, I mean, if you have an interest, I mean, you know, I'm I'm very looking forward to going to a shop next week um, that specializes in pencils because I can in New York. So (laughs) I'm I'm good for that. Um, I mean, I like underrated uh, towns for food. I mean, St. Louis is one. Drew can back me up. Um, I mean, St. Louis is, uh, and I mean this sincerely, it's underrated. I know that it gets attention for Italian food in the hill, but there's a great barbecue joint on the hill. Um, there's James Beard winners around here all over the place where they're willing to try things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the area of town where I live has something like uh, uh, two dozen different restaurants um no i'm sorry two dozen different countries represented in their restaurants Mm -hmm. i mean that that's it's an underrated kind of town just because it does allow for some creativity for some restaurants to give it a go um and if they work they work cheap (laughs) and if they don't then that chef sticks around and then moves moves around yeah i mean i I know of a few different locations that are all under the same person but they've tried different things um and then they've, you know, there's a willingness to experiment and, you know, you think uh, I'm trying to go through, I mean, the, you know, Minneapolis has some places like that, that are underrated. That's an underrated town. Um, you know, there, there, there's, there's places, I'm, you know, Cincinnati's, you know, growing. I mean, you got the Eagle, which is a great place for fried chicken. And, um, to, you know, it's kind of like Grace Meat and Three is a great place mm-hmm. um, to eat in St. Louis. So, you know, you can find, I, I'm probably I feel it sounds like I'm waffling, but the honest truth is you can find somewhere anywhere. Like that's yeah. the best part is like, if you are open to, to trying something or, you know, to punch in food on your phone and see where it takes you, you, you're liable to find something awesome in almost every
0: town. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh,
1: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: Pretty much every American city, I guess, non major American cities underrated. I mean, there's great stuff everywhere and unique neighborhoods that you would never know about because they're not featured on travel channels or whatnot. I've come around on the St. Louis thing where. I've kind of embraced that you know people don't like it and don't want to live here it, it makes me kind of proud in a way and also I pay $500 a month in rent you know and I'll, I'm good with that
1: that's yeah that's I mean I live in New York so that's like mind blowing to me yeah uh, <laughs> I
3: mean I I split it with my fiance so we each pay 500 but we got a two bedroom and with a living room and a dining room and a kitchen.
1: Yeah, I remember in college I paid two forty nine a month for my apartment with I had one roommate, so I, I can kind of relate to that. But that was uh, that was fifteen years ago, so <laughs> times have maybe changed a little. Don't bit Don't
3: come to St. Louis; it sucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess this is a good discussion as far as like the food and traveling. Um, just as far <laughs> as like sports writing in
2: general, didn't and, it like, start with us talking about Wainwright as a Cy Young contender? It did. <laughs>
3: I yeah, suppose, I mean, suppose, this is what we do
2: here. We don't have a plan. We're I just winging it. Yeah. This is like, um, we
1: keep it pretty loose. Um, you know, during COVID, how 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 did you have to adjust? to Because baseball's routine, like I, we're all routine. Drew and I are routine, and COVID changed that up in so many ways. But for you, how did that? How did that make you have to adjust how you how you do your job? How much more difficult was it? Were there things? positive
2: that came out of it for you curveball at the end you know it's <laughs> always tough to talk about positives in the same sentence as you know sure. covid because there's so much loss and so much still out there that we you know are still dealing with um so i i i have to kind of tread lightly because i don't want to give off the sense that like any positive came out of it um some you know some of the challenges sharpened either uh either skills that i didn't have or um skills that i had let kind of grow dull um you know the challenges of it were basically i mean it it probably stems mostly from access um interpersonal connection and and you you know interaction um you know there is something you can get from a conversation with a person that you can get in person and in person only and not over zoom um you know i i find zooms and Um, It's a little bit like Drew described the podcast, right? Like I find like Zoom interviews more transactional and less conversational. Like I put a question into the machine and I get an answer out Mm. as opposed to when you talk to somebody where you can actually have a conversation and you know, you you get to a point where you're not exchanging question answer question answer question answer. You're exchanging, oh, okay, well, this is how I saw it, or even like half sentences and letting the person fill. Or, you know, you, you use you know when you're interviewing somebody, you can sometimes use silence to a great effect because you know in in some conversations that person will want to fill it, and that's when right. you get the best stuff. All of that was gone. Um, you know, and that's a key part of storytelling, and that's a key part of um, you know interviewing, and that's a a really important part of of reporting um you know zoom you've had some um but they they can be hard to be confrontational to be candid um you know at least i've found them that way um i've had myself muted when i've tried to be conf because i don't control it. like you know i've been the thing and i was like well that makes no sense and mute what you <laughs> know like or uh, yeah. like how do you square that with you know this and then they just they you, there's it's it's a different way of reporting because there's not that in-person chance to either have somebody look you in the eye to say something and know it's not true. Um, or just the better parts of it was just not conversational. So I, you had to change that. And, um, you know, I, I, traveled all of last year. I, I went to every game that the Cardinals played, um, except for the, ballpark that wouldn't let me in. And that was the White Sox. Um, and they cited Chicago, um, policies, the city of Chicago policies and did not let a few of us in. Um, so we were outside for some of the press conferences and then had to figure out a way to cover what was going on inside without access to seeing what was inside. Hmm. And I think that really put an emphasis on how, how do you report and how do you become better as a reporter, sort of like going back to the news days, right? Like, you know, a news writer doesn't always know an event is going to happen on their beat. And sometimes they're not there to see it. So how do they report that? And, you know, we have the benefit of a schedule. I know today the Cardinals were going to play the Dodgers and I know there's going to be an outcome. So I start my day knowing, well, at least I'll have some kind of news and something to write about. If you don't see that news, then how do you go about reporting it to, uh, to get it? And that's a good reminder that, you know, you don't, you don't have to sit and wait for something to happen, um, that you can seek it out with phone calls or after the fact, continue reporting to find out, you know, what it was like, um, and really put an emphasis on, on, uh, on skills of observation. What can I see at the games I was permitted to going, what can I see that a television camera can't? And I can provide readers that way. What clue can I get to what's about to happen or what just did happen through my knowledge, um, my understand, my and mostly my experience of seeing thousands of games and seeing this particular team play so often? How can I utilize that to my benefit? Um, and how can I find? How can I be creative in finding stories when there were no games to be played? There still were newspapers, thank goodness. And so it really put an emphasis on what creativity you could find, um, to generate content. And I think those are things, those are lessons that will stay. I, in fact, I know, I know like in the last few weeks, I, I know that I, uh, I uh, lessons of last year are really informing how I go about writing things. Now I don't need them to tell me what they're going to do because I, all the, you know, I don't need to go ask cause I can observe it. Um, you know, I can watch and, and write it. Um, because last year we didn't have the chance to ask. Um, so, and we observed it and we're right. So why can't we do the same thing this year? Yeah.
3: I think DJ and I can kind of relate to that about having to get creative when there wasn't much going on Yeah, Uh, because we, we wanted to keep this podcast going and, so just every week, I don't even remember what, what we did. Okay. I don't remember what we did in the first half of the year 2020.
1: I think sometimes we use it as like a therapy session. Yeah. Like we would just be just talking about whatever was going on. And yeah, there would be baseball cool. in there. But I think it was also a chance to like flesh out some ideas and also just to like get more comfortable in our own skin um, and in our own knowledge. Because I, I think for myself, like I I've always been someone that that overprepares mm-hmm. when I do a, a media hit or like a TV thing and like it can go really well, but I feel like that is like a slippery slope or precedent to start for yourself where then if the first time it goes well, then you feel like you need to keep doing it and it it just creates like anxiety. So I, I think last year when there, mm-hmm. there just really wasn't a lot to talk about, it allowed us to just relax and, and get better just That's about good. having the conversation. So,
3: yeah. If I get like invited onto a radio show and they give me kind of an outline, I'll like write up a script almost like just to put my thoughts on paper. Cause I want to, I guess it's probably like a self-confidence thing too, but I, I got totally away from that during the pandemic just cause there was nothing to write a script about. And, yeah. and I, I think it made, I don't know if it, it created a good product for the podcast, but it made me more comfortable in. You know, you might not know everything, but it's okay to not know everything that you're talking about. Exactly. You know, you can say, "Oh, I don't know about that. I'll have to look into that or something," and, and it's okay to admit that, or maybe steer the conversation in a different direction. You know, you've got to become a, right. a better BSer sometimes too. Yes. We've seen better BSers during the pandemic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think for me, you know, Drew and I came from like not the typical journalism background. So I, I think for me, it has been, uh, at least in the past, like a confidence thing, like, do I really belong here to be doing this? And I think this seeks into kind of where I, I wanted to go just talking about sports writing in general, things have obviously changed. since since I was in college, since, you know, you guys were in college, like if you want to talk a little bit about <laughs> your college, years, like 20 years. Before. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> let's talk about those, those origins and like how it would be different now, like if you if you want to get started in sports writing now,
2: like like how would it be different? How would you go about it? I mean, there's there's how would I go about it? I mean, look, I would, uh, um, I mean, there's just avenues galore to get mm-hmm. into it now. I mean, I would, could start my own website. Yeah. I would start blogging, and I would you know I would uh, would clog emails of writers who I admired for you know, advice. And, you know, back um, when I was in college, it just looked like the only way to cover baseball was in a more traditional way of covering baseball. You know, and I was at Mizzou and on one side of the state was, you know, Bob Dutton and Dick Cagle. And on the other side was Rick Hummel and Mike Eisenbath. And, you know, the lead riders in both cases are now in Cooperstown. Um, and I, I've told the story many times, Drew probably has heard it, but I just thought like baseball writers were Supreme court justices and my time was never (laughs) going to come. I mean, I just was like, well, that's wrong on my air, you know? And I, uh, I mean, he's, he's a dear friend and one of my favorite people to read. And one of my favorite people to talk about baseball with, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a kid in Colorado and I'm watching this week in baseball and I'm hearing about a kid my age doing a newsletter that Bob Costas and George Will are signing up for. Um, and he's going to cover major league baseball games and interviewing major league players. I'm like, that is a 14 hour drive for me. Like, how can I possibly do that? Yeah, and there's yeah. Tyler Kepner getting to do it. And I was so mm-hmm. jealous, um, you know, of this kid that I would later meet, uh, you know, as baseball riders. and, you know, he's just, he's one of the best guys. Um, but I like, I can remember that going like, how do I get into this business when I don't have a license? I don't have a team in the time zone (laughs) I don't you know I do go to college you know smack dab between two major league teams that might have been more than a coincidence um but you know then you're looking at up at the uh, at the riders who are there and it's like I just I don't know how to get there and you know do you do you apply to baseball America well that was competitive too and you know do you try to get a job at USA Baseball Weekly and USA Today's Baseball Weekly and and I tried I tried um, I went to uh, the Sporting News, the Bible of Baseball, multiple times and uh, saw friends like Will Leach leap over me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> like, what do I do? Um, you know, it, today I just start a blog and go, you yeah. guys are on your own and and see if I could write and see if I could get attention and see if I could get pointers. Um, Or I would, you know, try to find a place that, you know, was looking for somebody who was willing to work, you know, 120 hours a week and get paid for 20 of them and see if that could work. I mean, the, the, the the world is opened up and, and I think that's made baseball writing better because it's made it more competitive. Um, You know, it's just, it's made it possible for so many more people um, on so many different more platforms. I mean, I can think back to when I was starting at, uh, you know, covering baseball and I learned so much by seeing like some of the growth of um, the online coverage, um of like the minor leagues or of the analytics. And it was like, okay, well look, you know, newspapers aren't exactly dabbling in the some newspapers did great stuff, but some of the other newspapers weren't exactly dabbling in some of the analytics. Well, can we get to a, well why not? Could I make that part of what we do? Because the blogs are having great success or these websites are having great success with that. And there are competitions. So what can we learn from that? Or, you know, we saw such in interest in minor league baseball. So like, we need to do that. We need to find a way to cover that because, you know, these other websites, I anything mean, you think like purple row with the Rockies and stuff, they, they're, they're doing so well with this, you know, how do we learn from that and do that? Um, so I think, you know, the, the galaxy of baseball coverage just kind of opened up a few years after, um, you know, I was trying to get in. So I would take a completely different route. I mean, like, I'm, I mean, my job applications were in, you know, I went to zero, you know, to, what was it Kinko's I went to Kinko's then Xeroxed off all of my job applications and put them in 68 different envelopes and <laughs> wrote 68 different cover letters. And that would be so much cheaper nowadays. Like I took out a loan to apply for jobs, you know, now mm. it would just be an email like with an yeah.
3: attachment <laughs> or a Twitter feed or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. No, it's, yeah. It's so it's
1: definitely, I mean, it's way different. Yeah. When I graduated college in 2004, And which was like a weird time because it was like right in between like the the old guard and just the start of like blogs and and all that kind of stuff. So I was really stuck in between. So I I definitely did what you did. I I put like writing samples in an envelope and, and mailed those off. But at the same time, I was writing at Mets blog is like where I got my start. Yeah. And I was doing that for for fun. I was just like, yeah, like maybe some people will see this. But like that was the better path for me because it just got more eyes on my stuff than anything I ever sent out or or did for a newspaper. So it's it's weird how that worked out.
3: It is a nice thing, even though, you know, it's easy to feel kind of depressed about where the industry is. But you can self-publish and you can be your own megaphone. And if you have something interesting to say and, and your writing's good or um you know you you have interesting tweets i guess um or an interesting voice in a, in a podcast format or you do videos or whatever it is if it's interesting it'll get seen um and you don't have to go and apply to to be like a prep sports writer at a paper and then move your way up to being like maybe a beat writer for a a smaller sport and I, I, I not and that you're not so like, I'm not that speaking of
2: anybody in this conversation, having done that, No, not, <laughs> not, that. not that. that is exactly the route that some of us,
3: have. I mean, that was the path, right? That was pretty much the path for a long
2: time. I mean, not for everybody, you know, not I mean, there were, there were people who I went to college with who went, you know, straight from Mizzou to what you would call the big leagues. And, you know, then yeah. some of us didn't, you know, some of us had to, had to win batting titles at double a and find our way up. And, um, you know, and that, and, then, and maybe you know, there's something to that. I mean, I've I've been very fortunate because I've had a chance to cover you know preps in Louisiana, um, which was a strong hotbed of baseball, and I got introduced to people who I would later run into again in the majors. Um, you know, like a Mike Fondo I covered, or Ryan Terrio is a great Terry example because yeah. he became a Cardinal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I covered in high school. I covered him at LSU. Um, was there for a national championship when they won it. Got to cover that. Um, Got to deal with Nick Saban on his first day as LSU football coach. I'm better because I covered Nick Saban. Um, I'm better because I covered LSU football and because I learned like some mistakes that, you know, I learned what a what a major beat, how a major beat works, you know, with so many eyes on it. And then, you know, and I got a job or I got a chance to go home um, and I covered the Nuggets. So I got to see what the NBA was like. And then the Nugget season ended and the Roy, Bo- Ray Bork, gosh, dog, I can talk <laughs> Ray Bork, um, Stanley cup run was underway for the avalanche. Um, and so they put me on sidebar duty there. And so I got to cover a Stanley cup final. And then that was enough for the post dispatch to say, well, would you like to cover hockey? And I'm like, well, I'd like to cover baseball is hockey a way to get to cover baseball? And they're like, well, we'll see how well you do at hockey. And okay. So there, so I came to cover the blues and um, you know, I'm, I, uh, along the way, I mean, look, along the way I covered court cases. I covered, you know, I unfortunately had to cover like a, a, a missing person that became, um, you know, a death in Louisiana. I covered a hurricane a couple times there. Um, and so you know, when I'm covering the blues and there's a murder for hire on the beat, you know, I had, oh, yeah. the, I I had some kind of abil- background of how to know how to do that. Um, you know, yeah. so it is a more traditional route that I t- took, um, that probably seems old and creaky and dusty, um, and slow for other riders who are covering baseball because it, you know, but you know, I, I mean I was covering LSU at age what 24 25 so wasn't that slow um, and I was covering baseball before I was 30 and so not all that slow and I I had these I had the Swiss Army knife of tools that I'd gotten from other beats which became essential because look I mean like podcasts didn't exist t- t- Twitter didn't exist blogs really didn't exist though I mean, I guess they did. We just called them differently. Like, you know, when I started on the baseball beat, I was like, well, what can we do for the web? And I, well, I think we called them postcards or something like that then. But they were essentially blogs. Um, but, you know, appearing on TV was not something you did. You know, when I was at Mizzou. It was like, you know, hide behind the byline and no one ever see a fan. I mean, the joke yeah. was that you had, a, you had a voice for print and a, and a face mm-hmm. for print. And, uh, you know, now you have to figure out how to be on TV. You have to, you know, I was talking about this with one of the coaches the other day about, you know, just having um, really good people who pushed me in the right direction early on to get gather skills beyond journalism. So that when Chris Mad Dog Russo wants to engage in an argument, you know, I can go Lincoln <laughs> and <laughs> Douglas and keep up, you, you know, I mean, so as, it's the, yeah i mean you can you can improvise a little bit and yeah you know it's great it's it's cool um that you have comfort to do that and i think that's what the i think i think there's just more it took me you know going different places to find those things um today what's great is you have so much of that at your fingertips if you're willing to reach for it if you want to 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 cover baseball there's so much out there that you just have to reach for you don't have to you know you know a sublease hop um to you know around or job hop around to get it i
1: do think that you know to be successful now it's like you were saying i think it's automatic like you have to be comfortable speaking writing and being on camera like that's just the reality Mm -hmm. of the way it is also because like people want to know you like people want to know you beyond mm, the, nut, the nuts and bolts of, I think you gather more of an audience of people oh. know you a little bit and like you. I Man, think that maybe along
3: the that way. That's oh. a great point. It's yeah. not necessarily, but yeah, definitely like personality based stuff is yeah. becoming more and more. I mean, you don't, you're an you're like one of the best B writers in the country. So you don't like you don't need people to like like you.
2: I don't need a personality. This is proven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the other thing you said like you're you're, you know, true. you're The tools in your in your toolbox like that's really important to being a baseball writer because writing about baseball is so much more than baseball, especially, you know, recently uh, you know, with all the, you know, uh, injuries legal situations yeah. um you know j- coming just up the with social, the cba yeah, yeah the social labor. yeah you know the social just atmosphere of the country like you have to know great great how to point. talk about these things sensitively uh so i think that's
2: really important mm-hmm. too yeah yeah i mean i i i think a lot about like how 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 lucky I am to have had opportunities, um, to have the route that I had where I did not think I was going to be a baseball writer. Um, I went to Mizzou thinking that that was going to be impossible. So I really studied, um, covering politics and did a lot of, I thought I would cover politics and cover law. Um, you know, that was kind of the idea was go and cover like courts, um, civil liberties and stuff like that. Um, and you know, the, 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 then the opportunity that I got with the Palm beach post where, you know, they called me up and offered me an internship and, um, just how fortunate I got. I mean, I knew my way around, uh, a, a police station and how to get public information that helped me unearth some arrests that had not previously been reported. And, you know, they also had me on the outdoors beat. So I got to canoe the locks every so often or go out <laughs> and cover high speed race. I mean, it just was like, whatever opera, whatever, whatever, uh, Yes. Experience I could have. It's, it's something that actually like Mike Shilt talks a lot about is that your experiences don't have to be your only experiences. You can gather experiences from watching or asking about others, you know? And so like in new Orleans, um, the great columnist there at the Thomas picking Pete Finney told me once, he said, never take for granted a championship on your beat. Never have regrets if you're covering a championship team cover or a team that could win a championship, cover it like it could win a championship so that when you look back and they say, we want to put together a commemorative book, you go, Oh man, that stuff is awful. Or gosh, that doesn't look good. I mean, think about like that. I mean, I, I was told that as a prep writer going to cover LSU and I mean, that that resonates when you're covering the Cardinals, It's like something that Pete Finney told me over beignets, probably Um, talking about football means so much to what you learn about covering the Cardinals, you know, and and what's at stake with this team. So, I mean, I I think I'm I'm super fortunate. I am definitely um, I am definitely the sum of my mentors um, and uh, not better than any of them, but better because of them.
3: And beyond just the work experience that you get that you've gotten on that path, that's just amazing life experiences too. living in different environments and putting yourself out there and being willing to do. I mean, that's it's a lot cooler than being a a kid who's like just racking up Twitter likes, you know, you're you're canoeing down a a river and and meeting nick saban his first practice at lsu i mean that's pretty cool i mean they they didn't have
2: yeah i have i I have a lot of Saban story but they didn't have twitter back then i guess i'm not putting i I mean i guess i'm dating myself a little bit by telling that but i mean i graduated 97 but but i I think
3: even if knowing what i know about you even if you had even if you were a 19 year old right now i feel like You'd be, you wouldn't be the the guy who's just like living in his parents' basement, just you know, creating like a. Not that there's anything even wrong with like being a kid who just uses Twitter DMs to like build a brand, um, but I feel like that that wouldn't probably be your style.
2: I'm a little too wordy for that. I would feel constrained by the 240. um yeah, you know. what I feel. I'm into, I mean, I'm being honest. I was, I was, I wrote a lot. I write a lot. I do write a lot. I'm a little wordy. I'm a lot wordy. I'm a lot, I'm a lot, a <laughs> lot.
3: Buccaneers, Cowboys, NFL season kicked off tonight. It's oh. on, on NBC. Um, so any of our YouTube audience, go ahead and turn on NBC.
2: Probably should have set my fantasy football lineup.
3: Yeah, I would say so. All right, we're closing yep. it out. Thank you so much to Derek Gould. If you like what you're hearing, uh, rate and review the podcast, the Circling the Basis podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Drew Silv, D-R-E-W-S-I-L-V. DJ that DJ short, just like sort of like that. And Derek Gould's DJ D Gould on Twitter. And, uh, thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.
2: Thanks for having me guys.
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features, the owner's manual for important operating instructions.